0: So I'm over the moon to announce that we've got a new sponsor. It's BDO, who are the trusted accountancy and advisory firm that you may know. BDO is the perfect partner for our podcast, as we both love to help entrepreneurs build high-value businesses, and BDO are always there to help advise people like you on how to succeed. I had the pleasure of meeting a few of the team at the Publican Awards, and I found out they were massive fans of the podcast, were obsessed with the success of our industry, And also a million miles away from the grey-suited drones that you usually deal with. To check out more about BDO and how they can help you get to the top, go to bdo.co.uk Supersonic! Supersonic. Super Sonic. Supersonic. Super Sonic. Supersonic.
1: Super Sonic. Supersonic. Super Sonic. Supersonic. Supersonic.
0: From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast, the rocket fuel podcast for food, drink, and hospitality businesses everywhere. Listen up, tell all your friends, and share with your colleagues. Every single episode is packed full of tips, tricks, and advice on how you can make your brand. Boom. So today I've got the great privilege of speaking to one of my burger and business heroes and that is Tom Barton who's one of a couple or a few founders at Honest Burgers and they've just done such an incredible job of growing slowly, growing in the right caring way and also the attention to detail and simplicity for every single thing that they do. The Honest Burger brand really has done such a great job in pulling off the greatest trick that is becoming a chain or a larger group of establishments but always seeming truly independent and completely loyal and champions to the local community that they serve. So it gives me the most tribute burger stacked pleasure ever to introduce today's guest, who is Mr. Tom Barton of Honest Burgers. Hello, Mark. <laughs> Hello. Am I meant to say Honest Burgers or Honest Burger?
1: Well, everyone says Honest Burger, even though we are Honest Burgers. Yeah, I, double, I had <laughs> yeah. a little
0: double check on the website and stuff. But yeah, I was, you're not yeah.
1: the first, but um, yeah, everyone says Honest Burger, but yeah, we are <laughs> actually with the, with the S. Ah,
0: nice, Not nice. that it makes
1: any difference, but yeah. So, um, we shook hands earlier, you'd had a messy kebab, yeah i know it's <laughs> a living the dream i was literally legging it here from from so from our soho restaurant and grabs a thing at the berwick street market and then sort of ran to you and scoffed it directly outside your office and then came to <laughs> shit your hands without washing my hands
0: but and and can you name check where that was from was it from somewhere it was, well, it
1: was actually decent but it's a it was like a souvlaki um oh yeah wrap it was decent so, we
0: were meant to have an Ant and Dec show today with right. Phil, but he's in Welsh Wales.
1: He is, yeah. He's, uh, I think it's some kind of centre parks set up for his kids. Oh, right. Yeah, so, it's like, like a, a personal little, thing? Uh, oh, very good. I think, yeah, I think he's probably in water in flumes and <laughs> flumes. <laughs> yeah, so, good but, for him. But, um, yeah, sadly he can't make it. Yeah.
0: Um, so, right, all about you then. So, let's go back to the start so just off mic we were talking about brighton and you being a student there and all the rest of it and also maybe some school troubles so it would be good to just understand that entrepreneur's journey to through to what we're seeing nearly now
1: well how far back do you want to go to my <laughs> well, schooling days
0: i guess maybe the the entrepreneurialism would be quite interesting to talk about you know realizing that Maybe you weren't a fit with the corporate system or the school system, and what made you different? And maybe those early signs as well would be interesting.
1: I'd never, I remember the first exam I passed was just before my GCSEs, it was a geography exam, and I got like 65% or something. And that was literally the first time I'd ever passed an exam. Every single time before that, it had been you know, sub 50% and teachers would just be sort of saying, you've got so much potential. And I'd be sort of saying, well, <laughs> you know, I didn't feel like I did. And, I, and I hated school. I, was, I loved, you know, I had some really good mates. and still got really good mates, but I didn't have a goal. I was lucky. My my dad um, had a, he had a car garage. So, you know, I in that trap, I think, of thinking that my dad had done all right for himself, that uh, naturally I'll just do all right for myself yeah. without actually giving it any thought. But managed to get into uni, um, uh, Brighton Uni, and that was, I was very much the one who's going to go and study. And I actually did all right in my GCSE somehow, I don't know. But I managed to get in and and, uh, I did well in my A-levels. I got an A in business studies and that was like, I actually found business studies really easy. I just thought a lot of this is just logical right it's just mm. basic kind of understanding and mm. i so i did find that quite quite straightforward so then when i went off to brighton i was like well, i've got to do business because mm. that's all i kind of really knew um so yeah ended up getting down to brighton where you are from or living now yeah well i guess the the major thing is i feel like if i had
0: went to brighton Uni. You know, I might not even be alive, never mind, yeah, no, you know, I think <laughs> I know too much for, too yeah. much
1: fun to be had down there, right? I think that was part of the attraction, Brighton really, <laughs> would be really good fun. And I, yeah, I mean, I, I, there are many scenarios that I'm amazed I've got away with, with my life. Down there. <laughs> it's such an amazing place. I love yes, going down yes. there. We were opened a restaurant last year, um, sorry, last year, this year, um, felt so nice to have a a real reason to go back because i love brighton it's like one of my favorite cities but as a student yeah it was wild man it's a crazy (laughs) place so um it was really good fun but i get the to go back to your entrepreneurial thing again i did i didn't think anything at brighton i was like i'm gonna go and hopefully get a degree and then hopefully move to london and put on a suit and immediately get a high power job um, and that's kind of what I would hope would happen. Mm-hmm. It was only sort of halfway through my degree where I started to think I need to do something now because it's not just going to get given to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I'm not doing very well at my degree at all. I've got thrown off my course for a year. I had to go and sort myself out because I kept on missing exams. Right. And I genuinely wasn't, I'm not a very book smart person so I I did actually find even when I was trying some of my parts of my degree I found it really difficult Mm -hmm. but food was a real big thing for me and it always has been and I just never really gave too much thought as to how it would get to my plate if that made sense so at uni I've got this really like defining moment in my life where I remember being at Sainsbury's in London Road in Brighton Mm -hmm. with my student loan in the bank and a trolley and I must have walked around Sainsbury's for about an hour on my own, just thinking, What am I gonna cook? I don't know the first thing. And I ended actually ended up with a pack of beef mints. Um, little did I know how important that would be in my in my later <laughs> life. But yeah, a pack of mince and some tin tomatoes. And that's what I all I thought I was thinking, I guess I was going down the kind of bolognese route, but I was mm. like, How do I actually cook all this amazing food I've been fed? Yeah. Both you know, my my parents are divorced, so my stepmum and my mum both really keen um, chefs, and used to feed me up. So now I was in a situation where I either had to pay for it in a restaurant, which I couldn't do because mm. I had no money, or cook it myself. Yep. So I chose the latter, and that was when I sort of started to teach myself the basics. And I'd phone both my mums all the time, asking how they did that recipe and that recipe, and, yeah. and loved it. And that's where it's actually my mum was like, I was getting towards the end of my degree. I'd done a placement year that was a disaster. I could have got, I should have got thrown off that, but luckily had a really understanding boss. It was horrible because it was like, I'm never going to go into this industry. I'm not going to work for these guys. But my boss there was a guy called Jason Stoop, who he actually said to me, he was like, just because you're, um, you know, you you think just because your dad's made a bit of money that you're going to make some money. And I remember that really hit home. And I was like, I need to do this myself. Because mm-hmm. you know, when I say my dad made a bit of money, he he was very working class. He just worked his way up from being a mechanic to owning a car garage. Yeah. So I remember him saying that, and and really, you know, being yeah. like, "You need to sort yourself out, or you're gonna you're yeah. gonna blast by, and you know, ten years is gonna go by, and you're gonna have done absolutely nothing." Yeah. Which I really needed, and mm-hmm. I and I really respected him for for telling it to me straight. Mm-hmm. And it didn't change how I behaved at that job for yeah. sure, because I really didn't enjoy it, but. It did. Going forward, I was like, I need to find something that I like, uh, and that's when kind of food kicked in. So then, did you go back to uni after the so the yeah? I went back, and then I did my fifth year at Brighton. Yeah, um, finished that. In the interim of that and my placement, I got a few jobs in restaurants. Okay. So I'd always worked in restaurants. That was my first job. Was my um, we had lived in this village in. Um, Bath called Coombe Hay, and there's a pub there. Like my very first job when I was fourteen was mm-hmm. just collecting glasses. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I got 130 quid a week. Um I was like you know, I felt like Donald Trump when I was that <laughs> age. I was just, yeah. had 130 pounds. That a was like as much money. money as you could have. Uh, More than a paper round for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um and it was great fun and I really um enjoyed chatting to grown-ups and you know i was in a kitchen so i was like yeah. the little kitchen bitch that used to get <laughs> pushed around and you know angry chefs but it, i really enjoyed it and i mm. that stayed with me and i was like oh, i was going to get a job wherever i went to after that it was getting a job meet new people yeah. earn a bit of cash so in brighton that that didn't change and i started working in the coach house right yeah, yeah. on middle street sure, yeah. um and met a chef called loz there who's who's great and completely nuts and we used to have a lot of fun um, and he moved over to Riddle and Finns mm-hmm. and that is where me and Phil met so okay. I was working at Riddle and Finns and that was the first job it's so I don't I don't know if I believe in fate or not but the fact I got a job at Riddle and Finns I've met my wife there oh, and right? I've met Phil my business partner there who both those people have completely changed my life yeah immeasurably for the better yep. had I not had been walking past Riddle and Finns. I think I was off to the gym. I saw Loz. Mm-hmm. He was like, I'll oh, grab a beer. I sat down, had a beer. They had a vacancy. I had nothing to do. I literally started work well the next day. Brilliant. And yeah, fell in love with my wife about a day later. And that was that really. Brilliant. But um, that's how where I've kind of really got to grips with the, with the restaurant scene. And I loved it there. Yeah. You, Riddle and Fins you, is great. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Such a, such a great place. And they do like, they do a lot of the, you know, our, the way we look at food is, you know, let the let the food do the talking. Yeah. I'm not a very accomplished chef when it comes to techniques. I'd rather just buy really good ingredients yeah. and, and cook them properly. Yeah. Same with Riddling Fins, man. You know, they're just getting the best lobsters, the best yeah. Dover sole, the best oysters. Yeah. You don't need to, to mess around with those ingredients. They just taste amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I was just
0: walking past the other day and what I really like about Riddling Fins is, well the one in the lanes anyway. Um basically there's this old fella just sitting, you know, and he did his you know, cashmere jumper on or whatever. He's yeah, yeah. you know, obviously a bit well to do. And he was just having some kind of, you know, lunch or sandwich or something. Like, you know, on the bar outside. Yeah. Just sitting with a beer and, and you just think, What oh, a civilised and it was a little civilized. bit of sunshine yeah, poking yeah. through, and it just thought, Man, I hope I'm doing that when I'm that age. That sounds brilliant, yeah. you know. He's living he's living a nice life. Yeah, it looked brilliant. So Met fell in there and then how did that develop into, you know, the steps to opening the first Honnusborough? You know, what so happened? It was
1: a long way away there. So we I was we both worked there, we both learned a lot about each other. Um if he was sat next to me he would say that he thought I was a bit of a dick when he first met me. Oh right. <laughs> yeah, so we didn't actually get on very well. Right. Um I thought we got on really well. <laughs> we <were> quite good <laughs> mates, but it was it was like you know riddle and fins is crazy busy so you don't last very long in there unless mm. you are happy to work in pretty challenging conditions um and also a really demanding customer in there as well yeah right? yeah you big know. Time. but either way we had we had um we learned a lot about each other's work ethic and we we got to know each other and we became really good mates but that was it really we were just mates that um used to work hard play hard which was a the main thing that restaurant did so well is yeah. you were best mates with most of the people that worked there and that meant you wouldn't fuck around on shift you wouldn't call in sick mm. you wouldn't you know make your friends life more difficult by not pulling your own weight yeah um but it meant you also had have loads of fun you know we were like shots of toka and limoncello on shift and it, it was a real like epitome of what a good restaurant can be like to work yeah. in and it was really good fun and um Phil actually was starting to get into a kind of more senior position. um, And I actually decided to leave then um, and go and work at another fish restaurant, which was uh, Fishy Fishy. Yeah. Was that not Dermot Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So I went to work there for a bit just as Phil became my manager. I was like, I don't think I can cope with that. And that's when we kind of, you know, me and Phil have had these discussions where we thought about doing something ourselves um, but they were very much just pissed after work thinking we can do this yeah. you know it's easy all we need is a chance and you know didn't think it would ever come of, of anything um, and then Phil went off and did a couple of ski seasons okay. and he was training to be he wanted to be a journalist like a sports writer he was struggling I wanted to go to London and get a job with a suit and you know easy that kind of vibe i thought yeah, i would, yeah. would have um but bottom line is we didn't really know what we wanted to do and it was actually phil um he had somewhat of an epiphany he would say i think mm-hmm. on a chairlift in switzerland okay. um where he was like me and tom have always talked about doing something ourselves when i get back to brighton i'm gonna go for a beer and we're gonna plan something out okay and then we did and we went sat in the bath arms and we had about 15 pints and spoke at length about what we would do and my mum had already pushed me massively into food she was like the only thing I've ever heard you talk with passion about is food Mm -hmm. you've got to do something about that and I was really getting into it I was like my mates you know I I would happily spend days in in the kitchen Mm -hmm. because I really enjoyed it I love seeing what I could come up with and trying to learn recipes and I get my mates to give me like a fiver each I'd go down, do shopping. They'd basically just sit and play so like call a of a duty Steady and get pissed. Thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah, I'd yeah. just go and, you know, I'd have like 50 quid or something between a load of us. I'd go and buy everything for Beef Wellington and we'd eat like kings. <laughs> okay. um, so I was happy doing that. And I, I, food was the thing I genuinely felt some passion for. So when Phil approached me and then we started talking about it, we thought, let's give it a go. We both get on. Um, I trust him implicitly. We had nothing else better to do. <laughs> we put the bottom line is you know I, I had nothing going on. Yeah. Um. I thought what what what's the worst that could happen? So I think we <laughs> managed to put a couple of grand in each, and we decided to do, um, f- like, outside catering was going to be the Ooh. the way we were going to make our millions. Was going to be <laughs> okay. out of a, a tent in a muddy field. Yeah. Um. Because we just didn't have enough cash. Like we we you know opening a restaurant costs. Few hundred grand, a gazebo from Argos. Well, isn't unbelievably <laughs> the gazebo was two grand. What I know we were, we were so flippant. I remember it was me, I was like, That's that's the bricks and mortar, that's it, it's got to be sturdy. And we went to this company, two grand. um, I mean, it's a good marquee, well, sure, you know, it still stands to this day, but um, weddings, bar was yeah, 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 you name it. Um, and I and that night in Bath Arms, Phil wanted fish and chips i was like no way man fish and chips isn't cool my grandpa eats fish and chips that's <laughs> it you know it's it's not it's not scalable and i didn't really like fish and i, I do like fish now but that back then i was well, you worked at riddling fins and didn't like fish <sighs> i see kind of i didn't really like the fish i couldn't afford like okay. i could eat lobster all day long but yeah, yeah, yeah. who couldn't right? but the i was just coincidentally i was cooking burgers for mates because it was summers in brighton yeah I was, you know, making barbecues on the beach, barbecues in my garden, making massive, big, chunky burgers with like whatever you want in it. I'd I'd put it in a burger. Um, they were all mostly terrible. If I look back at it now, you know, the the stuff I put in, thinking that's what you'd have to do um, to get a tasty burger. So they, I was like, let's do burger and chips, man. And there's no, I'd never had it before. I'd never had a good chunky homemade farmer's market style burger yeah with like a decent cheese on it it was either like you'd go to you know one of those places that had a, a grill for cooking burgers and then a grill for just keeping them yeah cooked yeah yeah for hours yeah um and that was the kind of vibe it was that and there was gbk in brighton that was rammed that i thought was like the best burger on the planet Ooh. at the time Ooh. um and it was decent you know it had a half decent bun it had mm. good ingredients quite inventive but not the kind of thing we wanted to do we just wanted to do a simple decent burger that was made with good ingredients yeah so that's when we started to look into what would make a good burger and we were like it's got to be good meat mm-hmm. and we went to quite a few butchers in Brighton um a lot of them weren't interested because we started mm-hmm. saying we wanted a good fat content to oh, get yeah. the flavor into it and bear in mind this is most stuff I just found on the internet you know I didn't really know I was yeah. twenty three or something going into a butchery with big you know scary men yeah, yeah. and they were like you know they just make you feel yeah. 10 centimeters tall, tall and yeah. like you, you're you doubting yourself as soon as you go yeah. in there so but then we did we met a guy who who gave us 20 percent chuck steak minced up and we've turned into a burger and seasoned it and it was fucking amazing we were like this is this is so much better than yeah, what you did, what anything you we'd had before um let's just let's just do do that and then we started making chips from scratch because again we were like we want to be different we don't want to be the same as everyone else and you know you can go to thousands of restaurants in this country and get the exact same chip from a food service provider Yeah, in like collins you know and it's the Mm. same potato the same you know unanimous kind of shape and crispiness and all that stuff so we started making chips ourselves and good old Heston was talking about the the triple cooked chip at the time. So I just thought, let's just try and do that and uh, and gave it a go. Um, We started looking at other recipes for for salts. Is there a way we could add even more flavor to Mm -hmm. a burger um, and chips? And that's when we came across rosemary salt. Um, And it all just started to sort of fall into place a little bit. Like Mm -hmm. we before we realized it, we were like, we were a, we were a brand that stood for homemade food. Well, we weren't a brand. We were like two kids in a marquee, but it was very well, much say, homemade.
0: Yeah. I think, well, what, you know, I was always taught was if you sell something and you've got competitors, you're a brand. So like you're instantly, you know, well you don't, you're not a, you know, maybe a known brand at that yeah. time, but you know, you're a, you're a brand straight away.
1: Yeah. Well, we, um, we were called the honest eating co, mm-hmm. um, and Phil had come up with the the word honest as a, as a part of our kind of mantra, as it were. And it was Phil, it was a problem that he'd had with a few restaurants um, that he'd worked in that overcomplicated things, mm-hmm. um, you know, hidden charges on the menu. If they give you a bread basket when you sit down and then you get a cover charge at the end of the yeah. meal and you're like, well, I, well, yeah. I didn't, I didn't order that. And you're charging for it. And stuff like that, yeah. that. And, you know, ordering a main dish and then having to order side orders for it yeah. to become a main dish. You're yeah. like, like why? <laughs> you wouldn't just order that. You're just trying to get more money out of yeah. us. You know, it's such a obvious ploy. Mm-hmm. So that's where this whole honest thing came off. We were like simple, straightforward. Mm-hmm. There's the menu. There's your meal. No hidden add-ons. No, you know, clever, you know, trying to be clever kind of commercial decisions. Just straight up. Yeah. Um, and that's where it all kind of began and my mum's, a really good friend of my mum it was her daughter's 18th birthday I think was mm-hmm. our very first job I think we cooked about 100 burgers um, I think we charged 800 quid for it we were like this is amazing and yeah, you know, yeah. we got, we um, Back to the Glasgow I remember days. her asking if we were charging VAT and I was like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> um, and we went, we drove out there, we cooked and I remember, you know, when I was twenty, twenty three, twenty four. 23, 24, Phil was three years older than that. And there was a woman there who was friends with the, the mum, um, who's an outside caterer, and she ate our burger and chips, and she loved it. And we were like, she's like, a, you know, like a grown-up, but she really <laughs> likes our food. The kids were all, you know, they were just pissed up. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. They just wanted substance. Um <laughs> over anything else but we it gave us a bit of confidence we were Mm. actually this is we 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 did all right it wasn't a disaster it could have a few things nearly turned into disaster but but generally speaking it went well um and then it was like and did you have like branding up or anything yeah so my uh wife very handily is a graphic designer oh wonderful so if you see anything in an honest burgers now like our um iconic menu boards very that's all, iconic. That's all her work. So she did a logo for us uh, that she's very embarrassed about. It was what the one? No, no, the the Honest the Eating Co. One. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was really cool. But Why it was, was just, it squiggly? It wasn't squiggly. It was a it was a Honest Eating Co. And then a knife and fork at like a slight angle. Um, but oh, she's okay. not. She's just not her finest work. She'd say, but <laughs> but even that, you know, talking about you know that that marquee. I ordered it. I persuaded Phil we needed to spend proper money on it. I opened the box and it was the wrong green. Oh, no. I don't even know how I managed to do it, but there were two greens. There was racing green, there was emerald green. Somehow I ordered this like luminous, (sighs) kind of, it's not even a bottle green. It's like just a nasty green. It's sort of sharp. Yeah. And I opened it up and it's like, and we wanted to be this British burger restaurant yeah. i was like that's Classic racing green over. man that's the that is the only color yeah um and then yeah that marquee has uh we got honest eating plastered all over did you it. send it back that color we had a job literally in like our first job was in a couple of weeks oh. so it was like either we use it or lose the job oh god yeah <laughs> but have you know we, we were stupid because we could have just you can buy marquees for like 200 quid That would last you a couple of years. (laughs) It's madness that we spent basically 50% of all the money we had on a marquee. (laughs) And then,
0: well, legend had it that you sort of started some stuff in Brighton or you started trading in Brighton or what happened there? We
1: did a few jobs. So we did, we sort of off the back of this job for my mum's friend, Um, we then started searching for for jobs Um, and we couldn't find much and the street food scene wasn't what it is today it's so what all, year was this maybe it's 2008 okay yeah and the crash and yeah the so there was nothing you know nowadays there's you got you've got websites you've got curators you've got you know people like curb that do amazing stuff to mm-hmm. really elevate street food i don't feel like there was much then there was a company called encas that we worked with a bit um but again it was you know it was working at like uh silverstone race yeah. r- car race track you had to spend you had to give them 1500 quid pitch fee or something yeah. like that and we we're like I can't afford that yeah, yeah yeah, we couldn't even afford the stock to go to an event like yeah. that so we needed these real budget little tiny events mm. and one of the good ones we got was brighton food festival so we got a pitch there and that was a job I like me for both were i was still working riddle and F- sorry fishy fishy phil's at riddle and fins so we would be doing these jobs trying to book you know a couple of days off a week mm. if we got a job um and that's when we did Brighton Food Festival. It was actually where we made a bit of money at that one. weather was great. The, the festival was banging. You know, loads of people. Yeah, yeah. We had quite a decent pitch. It was on a Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. So we'd taken Thursday and Friday off work. Mm-hmm. Spent two days hand chopping, part frying, two days. chilling, part boiling, then part frying, and then packing. And this is all in a domestic kitchen. I remember yeah. seeing like... You know, we just had the four biggest stock pots we had <laughs> on the on you know, which the smallest one you could fit like a portion of chips in that we were boiling away. But you know, that's we were like with we, the triple cook chip is the best chip we could cook mm. and that's all we knew. So we were like, that's what we've got to do. So we spent two days doing as much prep as we could. We filled up these two freezers that we then turned off and used them as fridges. Right. Um in the vertical. Um <laughs> and we've that was it we kind of filled them up we drove them all down to the food festival we were doing little steak burgers we called them and rosemary sort chips and it was brilliant and we had yeah, customers yeah. who were like they really liked what we were doing and i remember chatting to guys on the grill and i was cooking and they were sort of you know joking about flame grilled burgers char grilled and flat tops yeah. and it felt like a really you know for the first time i was like this is this might work. You know, people really are liking what we're doing. And I could see already that mine and Phil's personality was coming through the business. Um, you know, the brand, the honest kind of thing, but we didn't make any money. (laughs) Very, it's like seldom did we make anything out of those kind of events. But I learned a lot about Phil was the best thing is we, that one in particular, we sold our chips on the first day. Okay. So that, that two days of prep we had nothing left. So we were like, what are we going to do, basically? And mm. this is where me and Phil align, is we're stubborn as hell, and we do things the, the right way. Mm-hmm. And we were like, we either don't have chips, or we go and buy some frozen chips, or we do whatever it takes to make more chips. Mm. So Phil was actually working Riddle and Finns that night. So he went back to work. Crazy. I closed up, went back to his flat, um r- roped in anyone I knew that would help me to chop, boil, part fry, you know, as much as we could. Yeah. Um, and I then met Phil about one o'clock in the morning at Riddle and Finns. <laughs> and Phil had persuaded the chef to leave the gas on that night. Oh, so nice. then Phil spent the night doing the final fry in, you know, big commercial fryers, yeah, so it was easier. Um, bunged him in the freezer out back. Um, got about an hour's sleep and then I met him there at 7 the next morning Jeez. and pulled him out and did it again on Sunday and we smashed it and all the customers <laughs> you know we had the same customers coming back from Saturday being That's like good. oh we came back your chips are amazing loved your food and for me then I was like you know Phil's, Phil's my man yeah pulled it out of the back. yeah we both were like we're not comfortable serving shit food
0: yeah well I think other people with principles would have just taken the no chips option yeah um so yeah that really shows the the ingenuity and the the passion and the energy and but it's, if, you, if know, you
1: put yourself i'd i'd hope and most people in that mindset you get a you we got a glimmer of of success then yeah we were like we need more of this it was like mm. a drug you know we had customers eating our food loving it yeah what are we going to do we can't go back and yeah. serve the same chip as that guy over there yeah we we're no. like no way um And that's what we've kind of built the business on, that kind of dogged stubbornness. Yeah, the ethics and the values.
0: Yeah. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is brought to you by the good folk at BDO. BDO have been long-term supporters of the hospitality sector and they are really passionate about supporting innovative entrepreneurs on their journeys and they also want to give you the right advice and support to grow your business. Just in case you don't know, BDO provides tailored advice to the sector across corporate finance, due diligence, tax and all accounting matters. BDO work tirelessly to give their clients the advice that they need when they need it to succeed. For more information on BDO and how they can take your business to the top, go to bdo.co.uk. Hashtag ad. So fast forward into, you know, restaurant one, store one, shop one, I'm not sure what you call them. Mm. What do you call them? Restaurants? We call
1: them restaurants, uh, yeah. So where where was number one then? Number one was in Brixton. Brixton. Yeah. So we never wanted to open a restaurant. We'll kind of make that quite okay. clear. Um. So how we've managed to have 33 of them was, <laughs> um, yeah, it's beyond me. But we, we wanted to do outside catering. We thought that was the way. So we were kind of, a few question marks were hanging over us on how we could make this work because we were kind of 10, 12 jobs in. We didn't have a penny to show for it. Mm-hmm. And we met a guy called Dorian who's our um, joint MD now and he'd worked for big brands like Strada, Bills mm-hmm. um, in the early days and he was very kind of restaurant focused you know sort of 20 years in the in the game he was interested in what we were doing and all Ooh. he really knew was we were two lads from brighton making burgers um and we went and cooked at his house um i remember vividly spilling grease all over his decking outside and we were like he daughter had a successful career under his yeah, belt yeah. you know and uh Um, his wife was a lawyer they had this nice fancy house in Clapham and me and Phil were like scruffy (laughs) kids from Brighton Um, looking at the silverware yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) Um, but we got on really well with him and I think it's fair to say we thought he was going to just buy us a restaurant and be like you know bankroll us into opening a new site but he was like I think this is really cool go and put some meat on it basically because at the moment it's just it's not really enough but if you think you could turn this into something more, i'd be interested to come on board, so we thought about it long and hard, and we were very like suspicious like you always are in the early days, sure. thinking who is this guy and who yeah. does he want but ultimately, we were like you know we've got we've got nothing really now you know this is a chance for us to learn from someone who knows a lot mm-hmm. um, so I moved up to London to show dall that i was in, that I was interested um he bought in. I think for two and a half grand, we, yeah, we've probably valued the business at seven and a half grand or something. Right, right. Um, door put in two and a half grand and he came on board and we were like, right, we're going to do this. We're going to open up a proper restaurant and go the normal route, you know, VC mm-hmm. or a wealthy friend of a friend or whatever. Somebody wants to take a, take a punt. Yeah. Um, but you need a couple hundred grand for that at least. Phil was working his notice in Brighton. Mm hmm. I was working in Giraffe in Southbank and happened to just move to Brixton completely by chance. Um, Walked around Brixton on a um, Sunday afternoon, walked into Brixton village. And like anyone who walks into Brixton village, probably just fall in love with the place immediately and thought, this is really cool. And Mm. it was, you know, I don't think, I don't remember being really busy, but I remember thinking everyone here loves what they're doing. You know, there's real pride and passion and, it was restaurant owners were there doing their thing. Yep. And, you know, all their menus were really focused on doing one thing, doing it well. Um, and I really liked that. And we thought, I remember phoning Dawn Phillip. I was like, we should have opened in Brixton Village. This would be super cool. Like, it's got such a good vibe. And immediately they were like, no way. And that's like, <laughs> why would we open in Brixton? Yeah, yeah. And then I went down there. They were The market was only open on Thursday. And Friday, Saturday nights. Then I went down and filmed, you know, all the people, and it was a real kind of exciting buzz. Mm-hmm. And the food was brilliant, like it is today. Um, and that's when it sort of started taking it more seriously. And I spoke to Rashid, the um, who was the market manager, and got um, showed interest that we wanted to open a burger restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that. Really, we managed nice. to get the penultimate site um that they were giving up to food at the time um and we we secured it and that was it and we were like how can we open a restaurant we had seven and a half grand but what about kit and so all these
0: things how did that work
1: so we had a we pulled in favors you might imagine mm-hmm. um the kit that me and phil had set up honest eating company with We had a grill, we had a fryer, we had a bun toaster, um so the three things you need to make a great burger. Yeah. Um and my stepdad and my mum, they my stepdad's a carpenter. So I went down to Somerset um and built a load of tables for free with him. Um built a load of benches (laughs) again for free. Um, Whilst I was doing that, my mum was out sort of trawling um, car boot sales, buying chairs for like two quid, um, buying old like enamel bowls that you'd use for shaking sole. We yeah, bought yeah. a pair of bull horns for 50 quid. Um, just little things like that. We bought our extraction.
0: <laughs> bought com- for f- yeah. That feels like a big expense. It was okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, was
1: yeah. a lot of money. Um, we I think our- I'd have been saying no to that if I was yeah, <laughs> um, one of your partners. We bought our extraction off eBay mm-hmm. for a grand and it came in pieces and we had to put it all together <laughs> fitted that ourselves the extraction unit wow. which we were just like you know following a a manual that was in chinese um <laughs> nice. but flicked it on and it worked which is great um and yeah we basically pulled in a lot of favors that the market back then was a lot of there was a lot of work in the market so mm. people just used to walk around and we had a guy called Conroy Brown who walked in one day and he was like, do you need a hand? And we were like, yeah, well, what'd you do? And he's like, well, what would you need? And we were like, uh, electrician. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, he wasn't an electrician, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he did, he did some basic wi- wiring, got set up for, you know, very little. My, my wife, Connie, she did all the branding, um, for free. Uh, So we got a menu, we got uh, Mm -hmm. a logo, all the things that can cost tens of thousands of pounds we got for nothing. For sure. I mean and and
0: also you you wanna watch there because it so exemplifies the brand. And also I'm glad you've stuck to your guns on it pretty much as well, because a lot of people would make it more complicated or wanna change it, or so just by keeping it, you know, honest, ho ho and simple and easy it's doing a. I really enjoy any piece of design that's like a pinball machine that's doing three or four different things. I mm. mean, users may be doing 10, you know, because it's the simplicity, it's the Britishness, it's the the farm boards, it's almost like an agricultural diagram. I mean, there's just
1: so yeah, much going when, on. She's done a great job. I really remember know? when she showed us it, and we'd obviously been pulling her from pillar to post, you know, being like, this is what it stands for, this yeah. and this, 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 and. All of us... At least of, she
0: can tell her client to piss off as well, which is <laughs> exactly, quite nice, yeah, you well, know. She had time.
1: <laughs> but I remember her, you know, we were sat at Doors House, and I remember her opening her presentation and scrolling down a page and seeing the blackboard for the first time. We were all just silent. We were like, that's it. Yeah. That's exactly that's what amazing. we all wanted, you know. And it was just the simplicity and the humility and the kind of boldness. It was just like, this is what we do. Yeah, it's right there. More. There's no bells and whistles. Yeah. We're not going to fill it with paragraphs of text. Forty you percent know, off. You know, yeah, and just know. stuff. You know, I always I hate brands that talk to you on paper. You want to talk to me? You know, I want a human being to talk to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when it's like, you know, witty, witty chat on a menu and and tons of adjectives and yeah. talking about the provenance of the beef that they get from the highlands of this and that, yeah. and I'm like. No, nah, man, just, just lay the facts out and the rest of it, you know, the customer can decide.
0: I think you can see when people are overreaching, you know, it's almost if they don't have a story, they'll say more. Yeah. You know, whereas, you know, certainly one of the things, you know, I, I learned when I was at Pret was just the customers will know the difference with and the good things that you're using. Pret's
1: amazing, man. You look at, you walk mm. into Pret and it's like, they've got, they, they, what they do is right there and it's there for you to pick up and eat. Yeah and then you make your, decision. make your decisions it's just you know we we're talking about Mark Palmer like it's lots of decisions they make it just seems like they're just focusing on the things that count yeah which isn't a really jazzy try hard brand yeah. they do the basics better than anyone you know yeah. the, the, they're all immaculate they're all everything works you know the light bulbs yeah. are all in you know the yeah. fridges are all stocked and beautiful but the food's you know good
0: well i, I think also and, and it's probably part of what you've got as well potentially is the great thing about, you know, Pret and, you know, working with Mark, Palmer and, and you know, the, the time we had there is we had time to make these decisions. Yeah. So most brands are in a situation, I guess, where they're behind on sales. So therefore everyone panics. So therefore they cut their way to make the number rather than promote yeah. the you know, sort of do the right thing to, to get there. And then the problem is that you're everything's at the last minute. Yeah. Whereas with Pret you were marketing six months out nine months out 12 months out so then you've got all this time to actually sit down and think properly about something whereas you know let's say when i was at yosushi or one of these things it was just a a busy environment and we're chasing certain numbers and whatever and what would happen is you had half a day to Mm. get a promotion out or you had you know maybe not as dramatic as that but maybe to get an email out
1: but i think that's the beauty of of those first sort of six months with Honest, we had no one to keep happy but our customers. Yeah. We didn't have we didn't have investors. We didn't yeah. have... We, I I literally remember Phil talking me through what stock take was when I was managing the kitchen <laughs> and talking about GPs. We didn't just do to GPs. To make sure you're not stealing stuff. Basically. <laughs> we didn't do GPs for, for months, but it was like, you know, we didn't care. We just yeah. wanted to do the best burger we could do. Yeah and everything else would you know would fall into place eventually yeah. and that focus that we had that like real kind of laser focus on for me being in the kitchen was food for phil was doing service right and you know having this really cool vibe and um we call it old school hospitality now mm. and it was fun and we had you know the ability to do that we were very fortunate because we didn't have massive rents you know i think we worked out we have to do 200 burgers a week uh, in Brixton, for yeah. it to be, you know, for it to turn over, and for that's doable, right? Considering you did a hundred at a party, we do two hundred in like <laughs> the th- Wednesday night down there now. You know, if they're busy, yeah, yeah. so yeah, very doable. But it all kind of made sense, and you know, for me, I got to meet Dorian properly to get to know him down there. Because so we did the, you know, we to do it on seven and a half grand, we learned a lot ourselves, but it was that focus on the things that matter mm. was that was the absolute gold of it down there is we really didn't care well i didn't about the business side of things it was yeah. like we're just cooking burgers yeah and everything else will take when we've care got of time itself. later we'll, yeah. f- we'll focus on that and dorian was really good at encouraging that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and he was a real really inspirational for us to be professional you know you don't, if you, if your opening hours are 11pm, you are open until 11pm. Someone walks in at five past, you serve them. Yeah. You know, you don't run out of a single thing on that menu. We've only got, you know, a small, concise menu. Yeah. Everything is on there. And it was the real kind of attitude of professionalism that mm-hmm. I think we needed because we were, I was 24, 25 then. Okay. And we had a lot of success very early on with, yeah. with Brixton in particular. And it was busy and we had like, You know, I used to do the door every now and again. Um, I mean, that probably did it like twice or something. Well, (laughs) but you know, you'd say to people, "It's a three-hour wait," and they're like, "Yeah, okay." Well, uh, we'll just you know, here's my number. We'll go and uh, grab a beer around the corner, and it was like crazy to say people stop taking taking names on our list at like (laughs) seven (laughs) thirty because we'd be closed by the time we got to serve them. But that's a great position to be in, though.
0: And it's yeah. that whole wisdom of crowds thing you know if if it is super busy you know the sort of the antis went up hasn't it yeah you know, in which is hard of,
1: though because we when we first started like i don't really know it was like the planets aligned and the timing just couldn't have been better and we mm-hmm. were really lucky and my granddad bless him he'd, he was he was very entrepreneurial and he always said to me the harder you work the luckier you get for sure and i always used to sort of believe in that and we worked our ass off and things happened for us we were very lucky in the early days we yeah. the timing brixton village was turning into this like super like under the radar kind of cool and um, mm. place to go grab food um we had some really cool write-ups that we, we were lucky enough to be mentioned in a lot of them with like jay rayner and grace mm-hmm. dent and marina O'Loughlin, like all the yeah. big dogs in the um, food world were, were talking about us and you couldn't you couldn't pay for that if you yeah. if you had it. You couldn't get that kind of buy in. Or well,
0: even if you had the best PR agent in the world, they wouldn't be able to. Yeah. You know, sort of influence what Grace Dent's yeah. going to write about. you, I for know, example. man. We
1: just had them all on side, and we yeah. were like, we didn't think we were doing anything that complicated. We were using good meat. We using meat from the ginger pig. Yeah. Which is a great butcher's. Yeah. Um And we had a great relationship with them, and getting them on board was a really big moment for us. Mm. And that was one of my jobs. I was I was kind of kitchen head chef kind of man. So. Mm. While we were building Honest, it was about you go and find the best beef supplier because that's what's going to make us stand out. So I went through and I sort of cycle up on my bike to these butchers and I went to like Moen's and Clapham Mm -hmm. and I went to HG Walters and both of them, I got patted on the back and told to piss off basically, like, no, we're not interested in, in what you want. And I was like, okay, fine. This is really frustrating. Um, so then I resorted to phoning people and thought I'd be taken a bit more seriously on the phone yeah. um, than going in. And I phoned the ginger pig and Tim Wilson, who's the owner. He mm-hmm. answered the phone. Um, and we had a really long chat for for about an hour talking about it. He was really keen. Um, and that was that. We got some samples. We thought, this is brilliant. Really great age flavor. I learned a hell of a lot from him mm-hmm. in terms of right cuts to use and fat contents and, you know, different things. And then got to a couple of weeks before we were due to open Brixton, and I had to set an account up with him, and I didn't I left this to the last minute because I was unorganized okay. and said, sent him off, and he calls me, and he was like, "Tom, you didn't tell me your restaurants in Brixton. Like how am I, I going to get the beef there?" Oh And I was like, "Well, you just deliver it." And he's like, "I can't, I can't send a van to Brixton with like 20 quids worth of beef mints. It's going to take my driver, you know like an hour to get there." not going to work and I'd never met him at this point and he didn't know anything about us so it was kind of like yeah you know first hurdle and we flopped it big time so I was like don't that doesn't matter um I had a bike I was getting quite into cycling and I just thought I could do everything back then and I um said I'll just cycle up to Brixton up to Marlebone Mm -hmm. and chuck the meat on my back in a cooler box and cycle back to Brixton and, and make the burgers and that'd be that and that's how naive we were. We thought we were going to open the door and do like 200 burgers a week. You know? yeah. It was going to be nothing. And every day, just busier and busier and busier. Um, and we did 90 covers on our first Thursday night. Christ. So we got very close to the point where I couldn't collect the meat and put it on my back, yeah, yeah. obviously. But I had a an, a day where I'd gone... I'd started work in Brixton and the, our buns hadn't been delivered because they couldn't get access to the market. Oh. So I told the bakery to deliver them to Marlebone and I'll put them on my back when I collect the meat as well. Um, so I'd got, I'd got to Marlebone, we had 18 kilos of beef mince <laughs> in this big bag. Um, all the buns I'd put in a bin bag and I'd bought some duct tape from... Um, hardware shop around the corner, and I basically, you know, Marlboro ginger pigs full of quite wealthy people, yeah, and I'm buffs. sat in there with my arms in the air getting um, 150 buns duct taped to my back. <laughs> it's not like the Wolf and Wall Street <laughs> yeah. like smuggling. money. It, it looked dodgy, whatever yeah, I was yeah. doing. Um, <laughs> and luckily one of the butchers took a photo of me doing that, and I cycled back to Brixton, and Phil was there, And I was proud as anything. I was like, sorted this fucking problem out. You know, got my, uh, got everything there. And Phil rightfully, you know, took the duct tape off me and had a look at the buns that were in a bin bag that were completely squashed to bloody hell. Um, We could barely use them. But what the good that came from that is Tim Wilson got sent this photo of me and he phoned me up and was like, I want to come meet you um because we were buying nothing off him you know it was probably spending yeah. a few hundred quid a week at this point he's like i want to come meet you you really you really like our meat don't you 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 like the kind of provenance of what we do so he came down to brixton the next day I and mean, he's old school like yorkshireman had a chat and i showed him around brixton village and he tried off one of our burgers and he was like this is amazing i really like you guys i want i want to be part of the, you know i want you to talk about our relationship so we did and that's when we could put the ginger pig on our menu and you know, we could start um, telling people this is how seriously we take our food is because we want to use suppliers that are serious about food as well. Yeah. And to this day, we still have people say we use ginger pig meat, even though we've got our own butchery now, but it was a massive point for us to say, you know, we're using good quality meat in our burger as opposed to most that don't even tell you what's in it. Yeah. No, Um, they'll just see whatever. And Tim offered to deliver meat to us then.
0: So, thinking about then the the next few restaurants and this being proper and all the rest of it so
1: restaurant 2 was uh restaurant 2 was soho that's where dorian came in so we we'd opened up in brixton you know really re- great reviews really busy mm-hmm. constantly chasing our tail you know trying to get better at what we were doing and that a really important part of that journey then was looking at how we can make this more doable and just mm. making some tweaks in the kitchen buying a chipper instead of cutting stuff by hand was yeah, yeah, like yeah. a miraculous moment yeah. for us someone's you, christmas you, present oh my god i remember <laughs> i honestly can relive that that moment every day it was beautiful well <laughs> we you could in my heyday with like chip callous hands from cutting with knives you could yeah. do i guess that's the stupid thing is we didn't even use one of those you know hands yeah, yeah um I can't remember what they're called. They're like grid you choppers. Yep, you know. Those yep. are great. We just use a knife. <laughs> it's <was> so <laughs> stupid. And A knife, you could do it in about 45 minutes, a 25 kilo bag. Yeah, yeah. Take 45 minutes. So if you weren't doing something else, you were chopping chips. Even if you're a waitress or a waiter or a barman, if you had a spare five minutes, you're chopping chips. Yeah. Um, and then we bought a chipper and it was 700 quid. And we were like, I can't believe we spent 700 pounds or something. <laughs> but you pour a bag of potatoes into it and in seconds it delivers perfectly cut chips
0: all the chips are done
1: yeah so um we were focusing on stuff like that to try and get the important things um in a better place so we could start focusing on you know things like quality and cooking things right uh door was out looking at sites and how could we grow this if that's what Mm. we think is right um and we thought soho seemed like a good option because it was you know it still is a real great place for independent brands. Um, but it's expensive. So yeah. we had to borrow. We, we we looked at borrowing money. We looked at bank debt. No one was interested. So we ended up um, doing a bit of a whip round with friends and family and anyone that wanted to take a massive gamble, basically, Ooh. and did. Um, I managed to borrow some, some money, and we got some investment from a few people, uh, a couple of Dorian's friends, and opened a proper restaurant um, and, you know, spent what seemed like an unimaginable amount of money. I think mm. it was about, with a premium, I think it was about 200 grand we spent Shit. on that. Big difference. But again, the, the actual fit out of the restaurant, we did it for about 50 mm. because we 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 went and bought second hand catering equipment from everywhere. We did all the work, the the stripping out work, which was so much fun, like... Oh, just demolition, like demolition. Work. Yeah, yeah, I did all that. I used to go from Brixton after working because Brixton was closed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. So I'd then work day shift in Brixton, and then go up there and work till like you know one, two in the morning. Take all just this rifting stuff out. away. Yeah, <laughs> it was brilliant. Um, but I nearly i remember going you know like angle grinders yeah oh i remember going to the builders next door who were doing up this townhouse this massive great like, amazing townhouse and um said have you got an angle grinder because i needed to get the walk-in fridge out of the kitchen and it had obviously been like um built in there like out of panels so i was like can you give me an angle grinder i just want to like cut it in half basically um and i was expecting one of those little hands you know hand ones that you could just go through and they come out with this like big two hand you know thing yeah i was (laughs) like and i didn't want to like lose face and they were like you know how to use that i was like yeah um (laughs) and i was in there on my own and i remember cutting into this fridge and i had it going about halfway through and then it caught something and just went (sighs) And missed my leg by literally centimetres. And I remember just thinking Like, stop being an idiot, basically. Because you're trying to do stuff to save money, but you we we're gonna hurt ourselves. Are but we, your leg's priceless, right? Well, yeah. God Um But yeah, we were just we were just so excited. Like we were so yeah. like we just wanted to do everything. But yeah, we got Soho open and we didn't change anything. We did the same uh menu same prices, and we opened the door, and it was ghost town for yeah. about two weeks because we'd opened uh bang in the middle of the olympics bad time bad time yeah but um and i I remember clearly phil Phil was like pacing up and down thinking may we've we've been arrogant we've been we should have we, why do we think we work in soho like really panicking and I was quite calm. And Phil's normally the calm one. And I'm the kind of hothead. And I was like, mate, just chill out. Like, be all right. We've got yeah. to just stay calm, keep doing what we're doing. And Phil's like, we need, we need photos. We need, we need quotes. We need to start putting stuff in the window. <laughs> um,
0: exactly and, the behavior of restaurants that... Yeah, yeah, you know? that
1: try too hard. Yeah. And, you know, we were like, no, man, what we do is what we do. And it's, you know, what's not to like? We do it well. Mm. That's it. Um, and, yeah, sure enough, Olympic stopped. Customers flowed in, yeah, and then we were like, "This is this is great, like this is working." And we put a head chef in there and taught him how to do everything. We had um, A. A. Gill come down uh-huh. and absolutely tear us a new one. Did um, he? Yeah, he hated it. Oh. Yeah, he was the one main reviewer, like sort of big-time reviewer, who hated it and said what? What was He's, the was the quotes in your head oh, he that were still spinning? Delightful. Around? He said that our waitress looked like a prostitute. Ooh, that our chef that's unnecessary. Isn't it? Oh, it's completely unnecessary. Our chef was an immigrant. He basically said that. Um, he said that when I sat, I sat at the table and I had to wipe the grease from the proletariat that was sat before me it was a real like you know he's after blood here Mm. um but I remember getting a text from Will Beckett from Hawksmoor basically saying congratulations you've got a great restaurant if um if he hates it (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah but to be honest with you we were so I was flattered that AA Gill even knew who we were. You know, we were, yeah. we had two restaurants at this point. We were selling burgers. Why the hell is AA Gill? Yeah. Why are we even on his radar? It's <laughs> um, a good way to look at it. Yeah, I it's did. On the the street. Immediately, yeah. I was like, I cannot believe. AA, yeah. Like, oh, he should be reviewing proper restaurants, yeah, not yeah. not us. But you know, you could tell there was people were talking, and we were the new kids on the block, and we had a really good social media presence. We taken that mm. seriously from day one that was completely my wife's where doing where
0: was it at that time was it insta or was it, no, it was twitter yeah. all twitter yeah, yeah. yeah
1: um instagram was tiny about then yeah, yeah. For, certainly in my world anyway yeah but twitter was big i was posting photos on um new burgers we're coming up with we were coming up with new specials at that point you know put in i was getting quite a good following of our special burgers that we were mm. changing whenever the hell we decided yeah, to do yeah. it there was no structure but i like, got this cool idea for a burger we just put it on our specials board and and, and examples of that would be um
0: Rib, red man
1: stuff so ribman was much later yeah. when we the ones back then we didn't really we did whatever we wanted so i did some great burger. i did one with black pudding in where we grated black pudding mm-hmm. into the beef burger oh, and did right. it with a slice of apple tempura and a tarragon and caper mayonnaise um and that's made a comeback
0: now for manchester
1: well putting black pudding yeah, in for yeah. sure yeah um but generally, it was like that
0: photo is great. By the way, I mean that is so the best food photography in the world for me is always Mill, right? Like yeah. some of the stuff they've done is just still, like, yeah, yeah. That's amazing, the part, isn't it? However, you ain't far behind. When I saw the black pudding, you know the berry, the berry, berry, yeah, berry, berry, berry. pudding, yeah. Uh, you know, and the and then the Manchester, and, the, and it's just stacked and it's filth and it's. Filtered really well, you know. Just mm. the shot is just like, gee, you know, it's the it's the shot that launched a thousand meals or more. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm no, I really was, pleased to see that. I was it was really wonderful that was Adam actually. Adam yeah.
1: made the link. He was like, we could put black pudding in a burger yeah, from Manchester, yeah, yeah. and I was like, yes, definitely. Either that or gravy. Well, we did both. Yeah. We got, we got <laughs> or two, just
0: have it raining in the we restaurant. Got, we got two <laughs> gravies,
1: two gravies, and a bit of black oh, pudding. I did in there. see that. I did. I cheese gravy yeah, yeah. and beef and bacon gravy. So nice. So yeah, it was it was cool. Like really you know so I feel so fortunate to have gone through that because it was it was nuts but we were all so excited yeah like we were literally we were knackered and we were the three of us were getting ill because we were working me and Phil were doing like well, 100 mate. plus hour weeks um you'll find a photo well actually Dorian he got he's a bit older than us so he got the flu and was out for like a couple of weeks he went down I and mean, Phil. were, You know, kind of plucky. Yeah. Little, we were like, we'll keep going, and we're immortal. Yeah. And then there's a photo on Time Out of Phil, and he's got this massive sty on one eye. He's lost the feeling in his left arm. That if you Google that, it comes up with some pretty scary stuff. But well, we that, think that's it was hard, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, all kinds Strokes. of stuff. Yeah. I think you said it was like best case, I'm having a stroke, and worst best case, case, yeah, all these things, but. It actually turned out to just be a trap nerve, but there's a photo where he's like, uh, it was a timeout image, and he's got this—his eyes all bloodshot, he's pale as anything, and his arms kind of. I hanging wouldn't buy anything off that guy. No, no. I said to him, "I was like, Fuck, man, someone, what? Someone, a yeah, Something sort of zombie movie Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and I got shingles as well. Oh, Jesus. So we were all My just shit. out, like yeah. we were completely Winded done. soldiers. Yeah, but then we had this. You know this sort of snowball was going and and we were very conscious that what what was gonna happen is was what happened is a million burger restaurants were gonna open up, and everyone's yeah. fighting for for turf and yeah. Byron had kind of surpassed g b k in terms of quality, and we were mm. like, we wanna surpass them mm-hmm. we wanna get a foothold in here and you know meat liquor were doing really good things, and yeah. they were like. Edgy and really cool and American kind of style. We wanted to do our own thing and go down the British route. Well, it, it's really interesting. You know, I,
0: I, I did the intro earlier before we met and, and I talked about what I feel about you guys is two things. One is I think you've created an evergreen, sort of timeless type brand that isn't oh, of any moment, you know, and I think that's a nice position to, mm. to be in. And I think the second thing is I, you have pulled off the biggest trick in the book, not that it's a trick, but everyone wonders, and you know, your ears will be burning in some conversations I'm in, with clients and presentations, whatever, which is how can you be a chain stroke group of restaurants if you don't like the C word, but still feel fiercely independent? yeah very few have managed to do that right you've got yeah you know brew dog it's you know to some at least you know Mm. that they're still standing for something you know you guy you know there's not many because once you pass that i mean i'll give you an example small batch coffee Mm. in brighton as soon as they open site number two they get called Starbatch, like starbucks yeah
1: people I are know, people people they would rather see you crash and burn <laughs> man, sure. wouldn't they? yeah, yeah. They oh they'll
0: know. love your first one or two and yeah. then they're like fuck, they're 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 over you know it's like know, pop man. music
1: it's like <laughs> the brits are terrible we don't we don't get i remember i remember this guy's face for the rest of my life i was outside Bri- uh, brixton it was about a week before we were due to open and you know a week before you open a restaurant like that you're stressed as hell And yeah, i yeah. was sanding tables I was covered in sawdust. I had like sawdust in my eyes, and I was just like, you know, I was in a a pretty tough place. And we put our just put our signage up, and this guy walks past with his mate, and he looks up and he goes, "Honest burgers, that'll never last," and just carries on walking. And I'm looking (laughs) at him. That's a T-shirt on it. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I was looking at him like, "You bastard! Why? Why why are you?" Yeah, Yeah. but yeah, wonder if he knows now. It's a
0: nightmare. So, I've got a few concerns, and my yeah. concerns are we could probably talk till 9 pm tonight. And yeah, I've got, <laughs> I've low. got, not that it's been amazing, right? Because you've told me your amazing story. I've got a bunch of questions that Gabby's done that we're probably not going to get through. She's going to kill me. So, um, what I'm thinking is we could probably do a part two maybe later in yeah, the yeah, year. Yeah, we'll get Phil along. Get Phil along. Yeah, yeah. You know, Dorothy wants to come along, whoever. No, 100%, um, Adam get them yeah. in Meg make it a whole big you yeah, know so yeah. as I've seen I've got a few family ties to you guys through you know Meg and us go back a long way and, and stuff like that so the ones I'm thinking are super important to, to ask you about so it was just about the actual menu and, and pulling that yeah. together so how did you settle on the iconic ones that you have right like the, the tributes, my favourite by a mile not by a mile, the others are just really that my go-to, yeah. and well, it's um, just
1: works. So Those flavors just taste good. Yeah. So
0: what about the yeah? Just the, the product development. For so that we
1: um, the kind of menu development is now me and Adam. Um, but back before Adam, it was just me, and it was like we just thought, what do you eat at a burger restaurant? Basically, a bacon cheeseburger. That's <laughs> the that's the go-to. That's yeah, my yeah, go-to. Yeah. That's what we wanted to focus around. So that was the honest burger. Yeah. Um, and that's you know a good quality dry cured bacon, cheddar cheese, not overly mature, like a mild cheddar, that melts really well. Lettuce pickles and sweet relish. That's like yeah. all the you know the salty, sweet, t- uh, sour taste you get. And then go back from that. We're like, let's have just a cheeseburger mm-hmm. because you know not everyone wants bacon. And then yep. back from that for the real purists, let's just have a beef on there yep. as a real as an entry level price. Um, and then having a free range chicken burger was also something we were very adamant about we're like we're not going to call ourselves honest and then stick a red tractor or stick a you know worse than red tractor on there so we were like we're going to do free-range chicken that's just a given we always have done and that's the same with eggs as well and that was there and then our veggie burger we were again i don't want to put a crap veggie burger on the menu so we did we wanted everything to. we wanted a customer to think that we'd given thought to everything we Mm. weren't just going to put anything on and that's one of the bugbears I've got with places that put frozen chips on the menu is—it yeah. is like the easiest way out possible. And I didn't want a customer to think that we wanted it to be unique, and we want someone to come to us and eat something that they can only eat with us, yeah, and nowhere else. So that the core menu was about standing out and being different to what else is on the market, and this kind of British vibe started coming about. Um, but you, you've you've Managed to do Britishness without it being, you know,
0: cliched or racist or <laughs> being, you know, do you know what I mean? Because it's so, I mean, it's such a high wire act to be proudly British yet not hit all these other potholes along the way. Yeah. You've, so uh, yeah, you've, you've, you've just stayed think, the right side of that. I you think know?
1: humility is really important. Like, mm. we are brands that aren't humble for me, you, you know, you it sends the wrong message and cool. to everyone to your customers to your staff it's just not a nice place to be I don't think yeah. no matter how successful you are I think humility is the absolute goal it keeps you grounded yeah. um, and that keeps your team grounded so we've always wanted to be you know less is more a window into what we do not sort of scream and shout about it there are lots of burger brands out there that are very you know angry in some ways <laughs> um for us we were like you know we used to to get journalists all the time be like so you know what's honest about honest and i'd just be like you know come try our food i think our food is honest it's it's straightforward it's good ingredients our service should be that way as well it's Mm -hmm. just a bit of fun you know it's um it's not overly thought through it's a real simple straightforward way of doing things and that's How me and Phil are and in door with each other, you know, we're quite straightforward. We're quite um, simple folk in yeah. that sense.
0: Yeah, and then beer stuff. So you were one of the first places I ever saw doing like Beavertown beer, for example.
1: Well, yeah, I mean all and that.
0: Yeah, how did all that come about as well?
1: So, ah, you know, you mentioned about about not behaving like a chain restaurant oh. or you know a group of restaurants, whatever you want to call it. I, for us local has become a really big deal and we take it really seriously now Mm. and that started with beer so we decided when we started seeing all these breweries pop up everywhere Mm. and we had restaurants near some of these breweries Mm. we were like definitely get to get them in because they're really cool beers and craft beer was getting a lot of momentum and we started doing that and then we started saying right every one of our managers when you come in you get to choose your local beer and you can just go off and find it, and as long that's as cool. it you know works, and as GP, and it tastes good, yeah. this you know that's that's you. You can go and sort that out. Um, and at this point, we'd done. We've got a load of local beers on our menu. And Now every single one of our restaurants has got their own local beer on there. Sometimes a couple, um, and we've even brewed beers now with local breweries and local like, brewery. Yeah, the one. best. Yeah, man. One, yeah, nice. um, So we've kind of taken it to the next level, but we food wise by that point we had collaborated with lots of people you mentioned rib man you know we'd worked Ooh. with some real street food heroes Yeah, yeah. and the, he's amazing by the way he's such I love, a character But well, yeah. yeah. we that the thinking behind that again like with local breweries is these there's guys doing amazing stuff why don't we you know we want to be part of that and yeah, yeah. if they were happy to work with us then we'll love to work with you yeah so we started selecting these people and that's what adam does now he's got like such a great job head of collaborations yeah, yeah. goes out and tries some of the best street food. How, People, how can we yeah. put it in a burger Yeah, but yeah. Um, we feel that's a really important thing for us is not feeling like a chain restaurant is working with people that um, aren't you know your breaks and your bid food and your you know your kind of huge factory based in mm. Europe sort of pumping out bland food it's working with people that have a real interest in what they're doing and are producing amazing things. And it has really um, put us on a good way for, for doing these local burgers In every restaurant. Now we've got a local burger mm-hmm. and we could be making, you know, we could be buying chutneys off someone who makes it in their kitchen at home. Yeah, yeah. And that I use that examples. We, we, the local thing came from when we opened up in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. So that was our first site out of London. And, we were bricking it that we were opening you know cambridge is very it's quite a wealthy city it's sure. quite london sort of vibe mm-hmm. but again we were humble and we were afraid and i think that's the best way to be you know yeah. slightly nervous about everything you yeah. do is a, is a, a good mindset so we were like how can we how can we soften the blow that we are a london brand but we're not we're not going to be a brash one and come in and expect everyone to like um immediately fall in love with us. So we thought, let's get some local guys in the bottom board and we used Jack's Gelato for our milkshake and we bought a local cheese from um Cambridge Cheese Shop. Yep. And then Jackie, who owns Cambridge Cheese Shop, she makes chutneys for her own shop. And I was like, Can we use one of your chutneys? Um and she was keen but a bit sceptical. And I was yeah. like, Can't it'd be great, you know, we'll give you loads of um, of press and we talk about it loads and then we started talking numbers and i was like i don't know we need like 10 kilos a week or something and she nearly fell off her chair she's just like no way so i was like look well whatever you whatever we can do to help you know i've got i've got a load of chefs they can do all the donkey work for you they can chop the onions they can peel them they can do that so we started doing that then we just gave her all the ingredients and then she made it into her recipe so we really try to work with these guys to show them that we can be a good relationship for both of us and we get a great tasting burger out of it is the bottom line um and now yeah we've got 32 or so local suppliers that we work with mm. and i think that that's not what chain restaurants do because it's yeah. a bit it's more, difficult
0: it's, it's in a hard to do box it's really hard man yeah and, and,
1: and what you find is over
0: time they're trying to simplify everything but it's i think the nicest Results come from the the harder to do stuff. You yeah, know? if it's difficult, it's probably worth doing.
1: Oh man, if you want if you want an easy life, just don't get into the restaurant industry. Basically, right? <laughs> well, it and you just work. reminded
0: me of a quote there about you know falling in love kind of thing, and um, it was the thirtieth anniversary just to the Stone Roses album. And yeah. Ian Brown had an amazing quote, and he said, um, "It takes time for people to fall in love with you, but it's inevitable." Yeah. So just kind of having that mindset that patience, humbleness, definitely works. Yes.
1: Yeah, no, and we we
0: all about humility so there's loads of marketing ideas and all this but actually we might save that for, for another one so I was just going to finish up by asking you a couple of questions so just some quick fire things that yeah. weren't in the questions sorry I know I'm not very good at quick fire But <laughs> so basically um, we do this little feature called mark out of ten at the end so it's about you and your tastes and things like that so best city to eat in S- San Sebastian okay yeah best restaurant to eat in doesn't have to be San Sebastian but
1: it probably would be actually uh, there's a restaurant called Bar Nestor okay in San Sebastian that just does a tortilla pageant peppers tomato salad and Galician steak and it is the nuts and that's it it's <laughs> the best food we have eaten yeah it's amazing best dish if it's not that Um. It's probably some fried chicken I ate in New Orleans. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's cool. This place called Willie Mays. It was huh. just the tastiest, most indulgent, like humongous piece of fried chicken <laughs> in this pretty ropey neighbourhood in New Orleans. That's unreal. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Or oh, maybe put some links up to that one. There. Oh man, do. It's really famous. <laughs> like it's got some, I think it's like the best fried chicken in America, but I see why it's amazing. I'll check that out. Best drink. What's your go to? Well, I don't drink anymore. So are you giving up? Yeah. Ah, good man. I've given it up and I would boringly say sparkling water or, uh, alcohol free lucky saints. Yes, very which good. Is, which we, is what had, we, we had sell. the guys on. Oh yeah, yeah. Luke, we uh, yeah. had Luke on. Yeah, yeah. Great. I love it, man. I love Lucky Saints. So that's my. Mm. Um, I like. I'm. I'm. I haven't been drinking long enough now that I can get the same first quench from an alcohol free beer. That I yeah. Could from an alcohol. Well, beer, well
0: there's so, so much good range now, right? There's yeah, special effects great, man, And so. all these things coming out, and I think Brudos got the punk EF. Oh, and they do the you know, nanny state as nanny well, state don't, state don't they? Well, yeah. yeah. And then. Final one was a bit of a name and shame, which is the worst restaurant or meal. Um
1: worst restaurant meal. God. I'd say probably nearly every meal I've ever had at an airport has been <laughs> pretty Below atrocious, path. yeah. Yeah, not to to name drop, but I think I had a breakfast once in Heathrow. And I was chatting to the waiter and I think we would it was on a mate's trip we were kind of drinking and it's just like the person that made that food just really isn't enjoying their life you could yeah. tell it you know it was just done with so little care and i was like you know yeah i'd say probably yeah, most most branded restaurants and airports okay
0: <laughs> that's quite a few yeah
1: so listen i think we'll leave it there
0: um it's yeah it's been a really good chat and for us just meeting as well that's been a you've opened your opened your soul and told us a lot of stuff yeah, so thanks no, for that thanks for having me man. it's been great and really good to meet you and as I say it probably won't be the last year but we'll, we'll try and get the whole gang hopefully so at some man point. we'll get,
1: um, get Phil along and he can yeah, yeah. he can uh, dish the dirt on our service
0: <laughs> that's great that would be ideal but listen thanks so much and yeah we'll catch up
1: soon cool cheers Mark thanks
0: so there you have it an incredible podcast episode an incredible story from Tom Barton I hope it's really given you a great insight into how to do business in the years of 2019, 2020 and beyond to not think like a big chain, to not think like a big group and really just stick to the things that are important that are really going to differentiate yourself in an evergreen level so that you can build the business continuously, happily for many, many years to come. A massive thanks also to everyone who is listening to the Supersonic Marketing Podcast. It's doing incredibly well in terms of listenership and comments and engagement and shares. So thank you so much for doing that. I really do mean that. A huge thank you also to Gaz and Gabby for all of their help in putting the Supersonic Marketing Podcast together. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Thanks so much for listening. And I really hope that this has given you some real value to help your brand boom.